Today we're covering part nine in the pursuit, and that means we're going to talk about core doctrine of the Christian faith. Now, we've already covered some of the foundational Christian teachings of the gospel, and we're going to drill down just a little bit more on scripture, on the Trinity, and on a concept called the atonement. Now, before we get into these, I thought it would be good to look at some of the doctrine we've already covered in the pursuit. In topic two, we saw that people matter. So what we learned here is the nature of God, that God cares about people. That's kind of a doctrinal matter if you think about it. And then back in topic number four, we talked about sin. And so this is where we learned about humanity. Once again, something that you'd find in seminary, doctrinal issues. In topic five, we talked a little bit about the person and work of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, which is very much a doctrinal issue. And in topic number six, we talked about saving faith or salvation. And the doctrine of salvation is very important. It's really at the center of the gospel. So as you can see, we've covered some doctrine already in these last couple of months, but today we're going to dive a little deeper on this core doctrine. Let's start with scripture. The Bible is inspired by God and always tells the truth. Christians submit to its authority above their own opinions and feelings. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says this, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, the word we use for this is inspired. Christians believe that the words in the Bible were actually inspired by God himself. They weren't just thoughts or ideas that came from human authors. So yes, God used those human authors to write the words down. But as you can see in this verse, they were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. That makes the Bible different from every other book on your bookshelf and really from every other book in history. The Bible is inspired, it's breathed out by God himself, and that means that it always tells the truth. We can trust it every time we read it. And this next part's important. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to submit to the Bible's authority in your life. That means that when you are reading God's word and you don't agree with it, your response should be to submit to its authority rather than making it, God's word, or God himself, submit to your authority. Now, I know this probably runs contrary to anything you've ever learned in culture, in society. But remember, sin is trusting and acting on your own opinions and feelings instead of on God's truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to submit to God's opinion, which is also known as truth, rather than just elevating your own opinions. Now, here's the second doctrinal point we're going to drill down on. It's called the Trinity. The God of the Bible is one being who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this makes him different than us. And also, this is what makes him so mysterious to us. It's easy to want to put God in a box, to try to pull him down to our level to understand him. But when we read verses like this, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it can be confusing. It says, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. And a verse like this affirms this paradox that God is one, but that somehow the Father is God and Jesus is God. Colossians 2, 9 puts a finer point on this. It says, 
that in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. In other words, that Christ isn't somehow God Jr., you know, not as fully God as God the Father is. And in John 1, 1, it says this, in the beginning, the Word, and it's talking about the Son there, already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So the Son, who we now know as Jesus, always existed. The Son is an uncreated being. The Son is fully God. Now, as you dig into Scripture, you'll find more and more verses like this, not just about the Father and the Son, but also about the Holy Spirit. And so this is why the doctrine of the Trinity exists. There's a sense in which God is one, we call that his being, and there's a sense in which God is three, we call that his personhood. There is only one God, but this God exists as three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Now, at this point, I don't want you to try to understand this because it's mysterious. The reason this is so hard for us to grasp is because nobody exists like this except God. And that's one of the reasons I love the doctrine of the Trinity so much. It makes me stand in awe of the Creator God who is so different from you and me. Last thing, the atonement is the work that Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. He absorbed the wrath of God in our place once for all. Now, I know that this is sort of a fancy seminary word, and maybe you've never heard it before. The fuller phrase is substitutionary atonement, that Jesus became a substitute for us. He paid for our sins on the cross. I love what Wayne Grudem says about this in his book, Systematic Theology. I'll put a link to this down below. He says, God had not simply forgiven sin and forgotten about the punishment in generations past. He had forgiven sins and stored up his righteous anger against those sins. But at the cross, the fury of all that stored up wrath against sin was unleashed against God's own son. When I think about this concept, it brings into sharper focus exactly what Jesus did for me. God didn't just say, oh, my sins are no big deal. No, God punished somebody for my sins, and that somebody was Jesus in my place. Isaiah 53 talks about the atonement starting in verse 4. It says, And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Talking about Jesus, verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That is substitutionary atonement. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And one more verse, 1 Peter 2.24, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. All of those verses, and many more, point to the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. And that's just one of the doctrines, many doctrines, that the Christian church has developed over the centuries. Now, if you want to learn more about these or other core doctrines of the Christian faith, check out our theology category in the main menu. Because learning how to think right, how to study God's word and understand good biblical doctrine, 
will strengthen your pursuit of God and it'll help others too as you start discipling them.